Uh, hey, you're up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep. Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. Uh, what you do with a bedtime story, all you need to do is get in bed, uh, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is try to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's thinking, feeling, uh, physical stuff, uh, noises in your bedroom, noises outside of your room, travel, changes in routine, whatever is keeping you awake, I'd like to try to distract you. That's a safe place. I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use these uh, slow... Are they, I don't know if these are slow-cooked. Uh, I, I think half-baked is a way to describe the way my brain works. Quarter-baked, probably. You know, because now these places have a half-baked pizza. Like, so now half-baked isn't as, like, uh, you'd say quarter-baked. Uh, barely defrosted. I guess, thank you. My brain just chimed in and said, well, I don't know. I'm not feeling any. But barely defrosted brain. Thank you. I don't know if my brain realized the irony that it's pointing itself out. But, uh, so yeah, I'm not half baked. I'm barely defrosted. Probably, I mean, that's definitely my emotional makeup. Say, well, when you, well, at the holidays, I'm barely defrosted. Uh, rest of the time, you know, you could probably figure it out. Oh, but if you're new here, welcome. So I'm going to try to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you awake. I'm going to send my voice. Creaky dulcet tones, barely defrosted brain. A really, I mean, a sense of warm welcome, because I'm glad you're here. The reason I make a podcast and where it comes from is my inability to sleep and uh, the fact that listening to the radio would take my mind off of that when I was a kid. And I can never forget what it was like lying there, staring at the ceiling, you know, thinking and, and analyzing and tossing and turning and just kind of, I mean, this isn't to stir anything up, but just to be stuck in that misery. But then also have this valve to escape listening to, like, comedy radio and Dr. Demento. And the goal of the podcast is kind of something in between those two things. But it starts with uh, that I want you to feel welcome. Now, this podcast doesn't work for everybody. Um, my voice tonight is particularly creaky and dulcet, but... Uh, uh, let's see, what, where am I trying to figure out where, like, I just, somebody just texted me a picture of me from like 1999. And I don't think this reflects how I feel about how I look now. But when I looked at that picture, I said, Jesus, so that was like, whatever, 20, 2009, whatever, 15 years ago or more. I don't know. But I said, man, I look older then than I do now. So, you know, I think that they said, oh, holy moly. Um, but I'm glad you're here. So, so I don't know if that's why I'm distracted. But usually, so tonight, let me set this up. If you're new here, here's the structure of our Sunday night shows. We do five minutes of business to pay the bills so we can make this podcast and keep it out free. And by supporting the sponsors or supporting the show, you know, you keep it free and you can keep all the archives out there, and then all the people that help out on the show, we give them credit. Uh, then we're in the middle or the beginning of, like, an intro. Usually these intros are about 12 to 14 minutes. And most people, like, uh, some people fall asleep during the intro. Some A few people skip the intro. Uh, some people, this is your way to ease into the podcast and say, okay, like, uh, also when I'm most likely to, you know, reveal you know, little quirks about myself, like that I'm barely defrosted. Uh, then we'll talk about Star Trek The Next Generation for about 45 minutes to an hour, and then, or the whole episode will be about, so about 45 minutes, and we do about five, 10 minutes of thank yous. And the whole idea why we do that is like, uh, so you're you're under no pressure to listen to me. So I guess you can kind of tune into, but you don't have to pay attention to. It'll be there. Uh, but you shouldn't be gripping or, or you're like, I can't miss another second of Scooter talking about, uh, uh, old pictures of himself. Uh, yeah, it was an old picture of me and I had to, I don't even know what I was thinking with the, uh, my, my it was before it was when I was in fur denial and I still grew my bangs along trying to find a haircut that would look normal on me instead of just buzzing it. Instead of, it was when I, I don't know, I had the delusion of youth. 
Uh, but so if you're anyway, back to you, listener. So then I'll talk. Like uh, the other thing about the podcast is it's a, at least an hour, so you're not under any pressure to fall asleep either. The podcast will be here. I'll be rambling about Star Trek, uh, you know, and uh, you know, taking slow, easy meanders, fixating on details that are inane at best. Uh, but I do like to do like a like a quote from the episode, and uh, this one comes in from Picard's daughter of all people. She says, "You've taught me to pursue the truth, uh, no matter how tough it is." Uh, and then Picard says back to her, uh, "Seize the time, Maribor. Live now. Make now always the most precious time. Now will never come again." And as like a lot of our quotes from Jean-Luc, when it's coming from Jean-Luc in context, that makes a lot of sense. You know, live now, carpe diem, but at bedtime, or I guess like no carpe diem after 6 p.m., I'd probably say maybe 7 o'clock should be carpe cutoff time. Because it's like when you, that's the kind of stuff that for me comes up once I'm in bed and I say, okay, I think I'm comfortable it says, this thing says, well, geez, you didn't really seize the day today, did you? And then another part of me would be like, seize the day? He barely, he was barely present in the day. And then some Zen-like part of me would probably be like, uh, if only you were more Zen today, you would have been, if you could only be more mindful. And they said, well, actually, I'm trying to be mindful right now. I'm trying to go to sleep. Be my, Could you, other brain parts, be mindful that I'm trying to seize my pillow and, you know, snoozes you know i want to be drooling into this pillow soon he said well geez i guess well and then they said well i guess he's not going to be living now like uh, whatever they call you know all the other slogans that have to do with that kind of lifestyle fomo or whatever or yolo or and i said no 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 i'm trying to go to bed i don't need any fomo or low 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 I mean, ideally, I'd picture J, you know, I could just picture J-Lo or something and then drift off into her heavenly eyes. Uh, but yeah, like, and they say, okay, well, you, you, so you're not, so tomorrow, okay, but before you go to sleep, could we talk about you seizing the day tomorrow? Oh, yeah, can we talk, can we cover mindfulness? Can we do, can we talk about, do you think if we shame you tonight, you'll be more motivated to be mindful tomorrow? I don't think, I think you've been trying that for like 30, that hasn't worked so far. Shame, mindfulness through shame. It's a book that, that, that we do, I don't think it would sell a copy. And so I don't know if anybody that's listening can relate to anything like that, or it could be just something like similar, like you're like going on with uh, your partner or your body or your cat. It says, well, as soon as they get comfortable, I like to make start making slurpy sounds. It's another thing. I say, Coe, can you, can you take a bath anytime before 11 p.m., please? I know dogs tongue bath themselves loudly, but could you do it when I'm not at the house? Because I do, like, uh, I'm trying to go to sleep, and I got this freaking faux Zen master in my head saying, well, geez, if you weren't worthless, you'd be able to be mindful. Say, well, thank you. What, what school of Zen are you exactly? Because are, are you a Taoist? Uh, because I feel like it, if I feel like uh, I don't know, I feel like I wish I had to like a comeback for that. But uh, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about that. So, kid, Koa, could you stop please taking a bath? And uh, and also, could the rest? Uh, so, but, so here's where the podcast comes in. And I say, hey, like, because uh, in that situation, I mean, that was about me, right? And my big ego that I'm was like such a non-day Caesar, uh, that, uh, I don't know, whatever. It's like a narrative, a story about myself and my self-worth tied to if I would have been mindful and, you know, zesty or whatever the hell you call it during the day, or if I could do that tomorrow, everything would be great. Uh, but the truth of the matter is it's bedtime. And the other truth is like, you should take the pressure off because it's really hard to, those voices are, uh, you know, well-worn, and, uh, so to distract yourself from voices you're already familiar with, is kind of tough, but in this case I come in and, you know, my, my, you know, my issues are my issues. So you say, well, you I could listen to Scoot's issues. He also has a lot of issues. Not only does he have lack of FOMO and, 
you know, n- n- like he's YOLO, V-I-R-G-I-N. Never, you only live once. Uh, I don't think those two things connect to each other, brain. But, uh, oh, my brain just said, yes, they did. My mic doesn't pick up on it, so I have to. Um, but so you could listen to me, and then, like, after that, I'll just be describing, like, basic, like, non-impactful stuff on Star Trek tonight. And it's also a track, and it's also a story, and and it can kind of carry you off, but then you'll also realize, well, I'm not really invested in this, and it doesn't really have to do with tomorrow or the past or the present. It's just kind of scoots uh, in his creaky dulcets, and I'm here for you. The reason I make the podcast, like I said, is I've been there, and if I can distract you, it, it, it helps me. I mean, it doesn't quiet those freaking voices in my head, but it gives, you know, it gives me hope. Uh, and it says, it, maybe it does quiet them a little bit. I say, hey, come on, come on in. I'll give you a little, let's just, what if we all snuggle up here? And instead of YOLOing, we'll just picture J-Lo's eyes, you know, floating. I say, well, she says, it's not bad. I say, yeah, go ahead and look into her eyes. She's, uh, she's, uh, it's also Artemis. Like, uh, oh, wow, really? So, you know, I can do some some self-soothing, but, so, like, this is different than that. It's just a podcast to distract you. And ideally, at some point, you kind of tune me out and you just uh, cross over that threshold from wake to sleep. Now, the show doesn't work for everybody, but I do recommend, and most even people that write reviews say, give it a few tries. Uh, I mean, this there's no pressure, no pressure to fall asleep, no pressure to even like this podcast or like me. Uh, you know, it's just an offering for you to try, and I hope it works for you because I've been through it. I've been in that rigmarole. So I appreciate you listening to the show. If you're skeptical, totally get it. And what I really want to say is I'm glad you're here. And not only do I hope I really yearn and I really work hard to try to help you fall asleep. Uh, so uh, thanks for coming by. All right, everybody, tonight we're going to be talking about Season 5, Episode 25, The Inner Light. And this episode suggestion came in from our good friend Lauren Sporer, who makes a criminal podcast, one of the best podcasts out there. She's also one of the nicest people on the planet Earth, or or I guess, uh, like, what do they say? Space, or in any final frontiers, you say, geez, Lauren's going to be nice to you, even if there's a shortage of... uh, supplies probably i mean even if you practice magic anyway she suggests this episode i remember her telling me about it uh before she even suggests she said did you see this episode where picard blankety 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 blank you know because i don't want to spoil it uh so thank you lauren make sure to check out criminal podcast if you i mean i think you probably have but if not get it on your list and this is a like this is an episode uh oh actually let me get it started so i got my setup here I got the transcript at the ready. I got the old iPod. Am I recording? Okay, yeah. I get to, like I get overwhelmed with this technology. So obviously, I don't think I'd fit in on the bridge of uh, Starfleet, uh, the Starship. But let's see my notes here. So it, it, actually, there's an interesting opening because uh, it opens with these like the rainbow warp streaks. Uh, you know, like the white light is streaking in a rainbow pattern. This is the first time I've noticed it. I, I don't know, but it's like rainbow. It's a Roy G. Biv. I'm watching it. Yeah, because then you can see the ship slow down. And at first, like I was pausing and I thought it was only the streak would go blue, red, yellow, green. But then I said, but not always. And, and then I noticed a little indigo. And they said, maybe because the, I said, where the heck is Roy G. Biv? And I don't know if they still teach Roy G. Biv in schools. That's uh, how you remember the spectrum. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Does the visible spectrum change? Uh, I mean, wasn't there that dress controversy? I don't know if that had to do with Roy G. Biv, but uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. And again, I always wonder how can blue get so much love because blue, indigo, and violet. I guess violet's purple. Violet Beauregard. Uh, but then it ends up, it's just like, it, it is Roy G. Biv, but it just doesn't always red, uh, red, yellow. Oh, wait, was there orange? I don't know if I saw any orange in there, but there was red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. 
And let me tell you about my watching technique this week. It was a carryover from last week. So I watched it once after I talked to Lauren for, for pleasure, just, you know, cash watch. Uh, then I went to watching it in these seven to eight minute increments, like usually with the, the, the length of an ad post, you know, between the ad breaks, uh, and, you know, pausing a lot. So it maybe takes me now 30 or 40 minutes to watch seven or eight minutes, uh, probably 30 minutes. And then when I work out on Monday and Friday, I watch it. And now I'm watching it again. Picard's in his season five coat. And let me just run through the visuals. There's something appears on screen. It's like a probe. And it's got fins and uh, the crew's like everybody's this. Oh, this is a t- tangent. I guess I might as well do it now. Those later in the episode when I realized it just today. Yeah, uh, and this is like some of you will laugh at my uh, f- foolhardiness, and I'm not joking. Like I didn't realize till today. Oh wait, these are some archetypes on here on the ship. Like uh, today became clear, even though Worf is from the Klingons, which are a warrior like group of uh, warrior culture. I was just noticing Worf went into his default mode a couple of times, and his warrior side came. I said, "Oh, he's a warrior." And then they went to data, and I guess I don't know what archetype data is, other than like the the data, like fact based uh, being. Then Jordy, I don't know, like, because uh, Jordy's more on the engineering, so he's kind of on the, I don't know what what he what Jordy archetype. And then I don't know is is Riker the trickster? That would make me more jealous of Riker if he's a trickster. Uh, then Doctor Crusher, I don't know if she's the healer. I don't I don't know my archetypes. I don't know my ass from an archetype for sure. And then I don't know if is there like an empath? Troy wasn't. I don't think Troy's in this episode at all. Now that I'm thinking about it, she was at like a you know retreat conference or maybe a retreat. Uh, anyway, that was something I noticed. Let's see what my notes. Now I paused it. Uh, we've de- detected an object we cannot identify. Oh, and then Picard says zoom or magnify versus zoom. I thought that stuck out to me. Nowadays we say zoom. Instead of magnify uh, data, he says, and then they say, data says, I got no record of this probe we're looking at. And then Worf says, this thing's taking up a relative position. And then I got to go because I can't understand my handwriting. And they say data. And they think he says, teledextic, a ceramic alloy or something. And then uh, Jordy says, uh, not very, not very sophisticated, but that was a clue. This is a clue. Like if we look at these Star Trek episodes, especially this style one. And again, like I'll just break any delusions you have about me. I did not figure out. Uh, I think I got close to figuring it out towards the end, but I didn't figure out what the mystery was. Mostly I didn't figure it out till they explained it to me. But that ceramic alloy and that it's not very sophisticated is a clue. I mean, you'd have to be freaking Sherlock Holmes to figure it out with that clue. Or, you know, a smart person. Uh, then Worf, de- then the action starts to heat up because Worf detects a lower-level nucleonic beam. And Riker stands up from a seated position. So then they say, okay, now it's getting, you know, he says shields up. And Data says the beam scanning, it's sending out some sort of unusual particle stream. Uh, Worf is like, this thing is penetrating our shields. And then there's a flash of light, and Picard sees it somehow. Uh, increase, oh, Picard, I think Picard says they're trying to move away, and the ship is following them, taking up relative position. So I think Picard says increases speed to head shake. I don't know what that means. Increase speed to head shake. But then there's a flash of light and uh, Picard faints. Uh, uh, but Riker catches him. He goes, I got you. And there's this soft, fuzzy Riker uh, cradling Picard. He says, don't worry, Captain or Commander, I got you. And then it, but then it fades and gets fuzzy. And then it's a woman looking down at us. Uh, we're looking through the eyes. Actually, we're not looking through the eyes of Picard. We're off left. And she's smiling as she comes into focus. She says, geez, well, finally. 
guard looks up. She says, geez, how are you feeling? And she says, hey, Cayman, can you answer me? Ricard's not moving yet. He's looking around, trying to process. And now he gets suspicious. He says, where am I? And she says, you're feverish. She says, freeze program, computer, cut it out. Uh, end program. He thinks he's on a holodeck. He's got a blanket on, and I guess we might as well go into what he's wearing because it's, uh, well, no, he gets up. We don't have a full shot of his outfit yet. He says, Enterprise, come in. And the woman says, geez, you're not well. And Picard is serious, seriously suspicious. He goes, who are you? She goes, this is your house, uh, your home. Oh, and we don't see his outfit because then it fades to the open. Let me just read through what else I have here. Raker catches him so gently, uh, soft focus, Raker, woman smiling. Well, finally, how are you feeling? She's talking to Picard, who's on a couch. Cayman, can you answer me? Picard gets, uh, I don't know what that, like, I can't say, it's a three-letter word. I can't de- de- decipher. Suspicious look. Uh, I had to, I, re- I took the time to rewrote suspicious, because if I didn't, it looks like subguar. But I rewrote suspicious so I could read it. And it says, look, suspicious, look, what is this place? You know, she says, you're feverish, Cayman. Freeze program, computer, end program. Oh, well, here's my notes on Picard's outfit. Picard pulls off his blanket. He's dressed like an elf. Uh, he, and he is. He's dressed like, like, a, like an elf in a universe where the elves aren't as stylish as the ones we're familiar with. And he says, I asked you, what is this place? He's serious. He says, you're home, of course. And then there's an opening. And he's still not doing good about tracking the story, but it opens with a strange probe. Picard faints, and then Picard's confused. He's in a new home. Okay, then we have the opening, and then the ship flies across the screen. Picard faces the woman. He has Sanal Tide like Prinks. Oh, he has... Man, my writing is... I don't know what this is. He has something. But their outfits are in like a like an upscale tie-dye print. Uh, his is green. Hers is more of an orangish red. He also has this like leather uh, belt uh, like uh, like uh, with uh, rings. And his pants, they were like, uh, like straight out of King and I or something. They're uh, tight around the... Below the knee, and then they're puffy above the knee. I mean, that's like I, I don't know if I'm familiar with King and I, but that's just what I thought. Uh, also, his chest is out. Uh, in, uh, I guess I'll talk about it later. But man, is uh, Patrick Patrick Stewart's in unbelievable shape. Uh, the house is very upscale with like uh, tapestries and sculptures, which th- that one kind of. Uh, doesn't fit and on the walls Picard backs away he's like asking questions another thing is he like he like the house had a security panel to open the door and he automatically knew how to get out uh like what button to push I didn't know about that and let's see so he's testing things he backs the door she says you really shouldn't go outside he's like oh hell yeah I'm going outside I will and he knows what button to push. He strides off. She does not follow. I thought if he wasn't healthy, she might follow him. I put double question mark. That was WTF number one. WTF number two, like I was putting myself in Picard's shoes, which is probably a mistake. I would have been really worried about getting lost and not being able to find my way back home. But Picard doesn't seem to worry one bit. I, like, I mean, maybe because I'm sober now, but I used to like at a hotel I could never find, if I, you know, and I, my mind wouldn't remember. Even now, I don't remember hotel room numbers and stuff. Uh, like, what floor were we on? But he doesn't worry about it. Then it's Arbor Day, and they're having an Arbor Day in defiance of the drought. And uh, they say, down with the drought, yay, Arbor Day. And the, the, they're planting trees as a symbol of survival. And Picard rolls up to the guy in charge. Uh, but Ty, he, Richard Real, I, I don't like. I don't recognize his name, but uh, he uh, he he looks familiar. Uh, whatever button I just pressed, I just messed it up, messed up uh, big time. Uh, watching it, don't worry though, I got it under control. 
uh, the Arbor guy. He's in a blue tie-dye print, but with like a weaved greenish uh, vest. Uh, and Picard says, I want back on my ship. Are you the one in charge? Uh, and he says, the fever, it's taken your memory. Uh, I forgot what Picard said. Cayman is Picard's name. And then I like he says, yeah, it must be. Like Picard starts to play dumb. He like he does it terribly, because uh, he's very serious at this point. Obviously, he's woken up on a strange planet with a new like new wife. Uh, and actually, this guy's his best friend, so he plays dumb, and he tries to get more info. He goes, oh, he goes. So he goes, you're he goes, who are you? And Batai says, your best friend Batai. You know, you kind—he goes when no one else around. You call me Tie Dog, and Picard goes, Ah, Batai, and you say I've been ill, and he goes, Yeah, for like a week. Uh, your wife, uh, she should have put you in the hospital, but she's caring for you herself. Oh, and he also says Aline, and Picard says Aline, and he goes, If you don't remember, that's your wife. Uh, and Picard says, and what is this place? And this guy, Batai, he's really nice. He says, geez, maybe we should go see the doctor, buddy. And Picard goes, no, no, it'll all come back to me. He goes, Resic, uh, Northern Province. And Picard says, what planet? And the guy goes, holy moly. He goes, you look great, but uh, he goes, let's go home. And Picard says, no, 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 just humor me. What planet? He goes, Catan. And he goes, Catan, because, well, it's not a Federation planet. You know what? I'm going to go for a walk. Uh, and the guy goes, dude, you've been ill. He goes, no, no, exercise will do me good. Reacquaint myself with the surroundings. Uh, but the guy, he, like, he kind of laughs at different points. The guy really seems to c- care and have concern. Oh, you know, this one I put, like, yeah, Patrick Stewart's in, holy cow, good shape. Uh, like, ripped, uh. Like, like Patrick Stewart's all muscle and, and like, he's not jacked. He's just very, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, man, I don't know how old he is in, in these, uh, but man, like whatever is actually, like, I don't know why they didn't come out with the Picard diet or whatever, or peace stew instead of P90, peace stew, peace stewy. Uh, I mean, seriously, I don't know if there's any interviews with what I, what he was doing to stay in shape, but he's in, like, excellent, excellent shape. Yeah, says so he's going to go for what? Get reacquainted with myself. I didn't realize that was a double entendre. Guy watches him go. Picard goes and climbs a mountain that overlooks the city. And they definitely live in, like, a rocky valley, like, mountain-type province. It looks very cool. Uh, but remember, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. It looks very cool, but remember. And then he heads home. Then I did a story check. So we got Picard on a strange planet. Everyone acts like he belongs there. Looks around. So yeah, my story plotting still needs work. Uh, then Picard gets home. His wife's been up late waiting for him. He knocks at the door instead of just coming in. She says, thanks, goodness, why did you worry us? You know, I said people were looking for you. And Picard, I don't know, you know, like typical. And she says, are you uh, hungry? He says, uh, hungry, thirsty, exhausted, uh, totally famished. He goes, suppose that means it's not a dream. And she goes, you think your life is a dream? And Picard really gets teed off. He goes, this is not my life. Very loud. Uh, and he has this awful look on his face, and she's at a loss, clearly. She says, well, let me go get you some food to break up this awkwardness. And Picard kind of glares at the floor. He does a lot of holding of the arms of the chair he's in. And she says, well, where'd you go? He goes, well, I walked for hours. Uh, Yost out of bed. What does that mean? Let me see if I can figure that out. Uh just, I think she just said, geez, you just barely got out of bed. And then she gives him some stew or something. And this is like this zen eating moment, like where they say, chew your food 50 times or whatever. Picard savors every drop of the food. I think because it's real food and not a, from a multiplier, whatever those things are called. I mean, he tastes every drop. I put zen travel or light. I don't know, probably like... He's very contemplative. Uh, 
and curious now than his earlier combative mode. Quite, he goes, let me ask you some strange questions. Uh, and she, go, she goes, okay. He goes, are there any other pl- pl- stars in the planets in the star system? Uh, do you visit them? And her face says everything. He goes, what about communications? How do you send a message to other places? She goes, voice transit conductor, dude. Do you want to send a message? He goes, yeah. When can we do it? She goes, tomorrow. And then she says, are you just worried about, the, what about our relationship? Aren't you worried? She's stunned, uh, like, basically. Don't you, aren't you, don't you care about us? Uh, now, something, of course, what do you have? Oh, Picard says, geez, oh yeah, I'm concerned about us. Anything you could tell me would be helpful. How long have we been married? She said, three years. I'm so, I'm so happy about it. Picard goes, what do I do for a living? She goes, you're an iron weaver at the best. Uh, she goes, but you love playing the flute. And Picard goes, the flute, really? And she goes, yeah. And then she gives him a little whistle. has a little tassel on it. And uh, he goes, when did I learn to play it? And she goes, well, you don't you, you don't know how to play it. Uh, which kind of contradicts what she said. But she says, you keep trying. And he, you know. Picks it up, gives it a little blow, and he goes, huh. And he goes, well, thanks for this. This was delicious. Uh, I'm just going to curl up on this chair here, and uh, we'll send that message out tomorrow. I'll be out of here. And she says, she's come to bed, please. And Picard says, like, then he gets, yeah, she doesn't mean to, to sleep. Uh, and Picard says, oh, no, I'm sick. I totally am sick. I could, like, uh, I'm going to be sweaty and talk. I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. Any- I'll just sleep on the chair. And she goes, let me be the judge of that. And then she leans forward. like, uh, And at first you think Picard's like looking like at, at her neck, at the nape of her neck seductively. But really he's looking at a pendant on her necklace which looks exactly like the probe, which is like an octagon with two fins, I think, with some red highlights. And it has one light on it, not the pin, not the thing on the necklace, the actual probe. Picard goes, where'd you get this? And she goes, you gave it to me, baby. Uh, it was your first gift. Then we're back at Riker, and he calls, he says, the captain's, something's going on with the captain, uh, then we go to an ad, and then Riker and Crusher, Riker's like, or Crusher's like, everything's normal but his brain function. And then then we do, do everybody who gets a chance to help. Uh, Riker says, Data, what do you think? And Data says, it's just unusual, the particle emissions, I can't block them. Then Worf says, we should just destroy the probe. And Crusher says, no, we don't, we got to figure out what's going on. And Riker's doing a good... I don't know if this is consensus building or not. I guess not because Riker's in charge. But Riker says, all right, yeah, let's stand down for for the meantime. And he goes, let's back off a little. And then they say, Data's like, the probe's following us. And Crusher says, it's connected to him like a tether. Uh, What else do we have? Uh... Picard, go to bed, low energy, rubbing the arms of his chair, zoom in, a fake out where he sees the satellite as a necklace, uh, uh, wharf, destroy a probe, not wise, Crusher says, relative position connected to him like a tether. Oh, this is this is next day at WTF too, <laughs> big time. It took me the first time I watched it. Like this, is, I was like, it's something different about Picard. I mean, it didn't hit me an instant, but he's got a hair, and it doesn't look good. It really, like, you say, man, he's way better with shaved head look. Uh, but he's got hair and a sextant, and uh, I think he would only have neither. If I mean, if you like, he would only have a sextant if he had no hair normally, uh, if you catch my drift. But he's got, like, just hair on the sides and the back, and... Uh, I think I was really staring at it. I think it's like like makeup, you know. I mean, I'm positive, but uh, I don't know. It just was me. I think I was just like staring at his head and his hair. But it did like uh, it did add the passing of time. I think they needed it to show the passing of time. 
Uh, but Picard's outside doing starship. Like his wife says, geez, are you dreaming of starships again? He goes, no, just looking at the sun, dear. Uh, figuring out this drought. And she goes, no, you're trying to figure out where you are and where your ship is and how you can get back to that life. And then, boom, Picard drops us. Well, that's, that was five years ago, but it's still inside me. And she goes, was your life so much better there, gratifying, fulfilling, and uh, that you stubbornly cling to it? And, I mean, again, like when you think about the way that the show tests the character's mental, uh, like the resiliency, Picard is really resilient here. Because uh, then, I mean, overall, like dealing with this uh, incredible experience of just starting a new life, uh, it's already been going, you know, while he wasn't there. Uh, but she says, geez, was your old life such great? So he goes, yeah. She goes, oh, it must have been so great, you know, all the stories. Uh, but you don't mention anyone that loved you like I do. And Picard says, I'm sorry. He goes, it's, it's, it was real, as real as this, and you can't expect me to forget a lifetime spent there. And she says, actually, I can, uh, came. And uh, she goes, five years I've put up with your other life. And uh, when do I get you back? And this is kind of like a theme that plays out a little bit. He goes, well, I don't know. I know it's hard on you. And she goes, when are you going to start living this life? Let's get a family going. And then Bataille saves the day. He's a buddy. He says, hey, what's up? And, and he says, we got to go talk to the government stooges coming by from you want to check it out? He goes, uh, yeah. And he goes, do you want to come, Elaine? And she goes, no, you're on your own. That's how you do it best. And then Matthias says, oh, boy, that was rough. She's strong-minded. And Picard goes, well, he owns it. He says, well, it's not. He goes, it's more me. He goes, I've been difficult. Uh, and Matthias, any best friend, goes, yeah, and for you, too, it's been difficult. He doesn't. I really thought, I don't know, I liked it. He said, yeah, it's been difficult for you, too. And some of these scenes in, a, like, a third or fourth viewing make a little bit less sense uh, when you try to figure out what's really happening. Um, but maybe you're not supposed to overthink it that much. Let's see. So he seems jealous. Uh, five years, double explanation point. Uh, never loved you as I do. I, actually, I, I said, well, I think everybody... That's worked for Picard has loved him, and I'm sure people have like uh, romantically loved him, too. But the love his crew has for him is very deep and genuine, and goes beyond, you know, well beyond a professional relationship. I, I think Riker for sure. I mean, I think everybody. So I, I, I guess I have to take exception with that. That uh, even though Aileen or his his wife. Uh, she doesn't own loving Picard. I mean, I think maybe I might have loved Picard. As, I mean, in a different way uh, than that. And I'd say, well, I mean, I think I love Picard like like a hundred percent bald better. So actually, I don't know if that disproves that either. Uh, what did I say? I've shamed you. When when do you get? When do I get you back? I don't know. Maybe that was a projection. So then they go to meet this government stooge. Uh, Who's, it's Arbor Day again, and he's there. Oh, so you have trees. Uh, and the Bataille says, yeah, hope is a powerful weapon. And there's a lot of people in the background. And then the government stooge calls Bataille alarmist because he's worried about the drought. And Picard drives, says, uh, let me drop some science on you, stooge. Uh, I mean, this government guy is definitely, I mean, this episode could have been made one year ago, which is interesting because he's a climate change denier. Now, their climate is changing for a different reason. The supernova sun, I guess, is slowly going supernova, which is causing drought and temperature increases. But uh, just interesting that, like, the timelessness of this, uh, this episode, like, thematically... So then the Picard says, uh, well, but here's some science for you. And he goes, well, Cayman, uh, uh, tell me, but I don't want to quash your ideas. But Picard says, we could build some condensers. And he goes, no, we can't. Uh, and then I don't know if this was like, a, 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 like, I guess I start to wonder, like, about this. Like, who told this story? Because as we, as the, um, 
um, what do you call that? The curtain peels back. We see that this is really a narrative within narrative kind of situation, or maybe two triple. I don't know. But I wonder what the, uh, what are the, I forgot the name of this planet, Cassian 4 or something. Like, I don't know what message they were trying to get enduring. But it seems like if the, if this was the message they were broadcasting, it's interesting that they broadcast as the official message that the government stooge was like the government was like a, a bit of a letdown with this whole situation. You know, usually official messages would make the government look good. Um, where this is more telling the truth. Well, they they didn't think we, like there was any reason to worry about this drought and that it wasn't going to be bad. And then Bataille says, like, uh, she said, well, that went great. Uh, the government loves you. Oh, there's also the greetings, be well. And then Bataille says, go carefully. Those are kind of the way they're greetings, which is good when you're thinking about the narrative thing. The guard's like, yeah, that didn't go good. And then Bataille says, no, no, things move slowly. Uh, things take time. You think the guy also said, like, uh, like, this was di- very didactic. I don't know if this was here in a pedic, whatever, very, he said to Picard, I think you'll like our form of participatory government. And I said, well, they snuck that one in there. Uh, but, but then Picard's in a better mood. He says, dude, you got to come over for dinner. Let's hang tonight. And the guy says, she said, but I says, geez, I noticed you were speaking as a member of this community for the first time. And then it's nighttime, and Bataille, like Bataille and Cayman are just kicking it. Uh, I'd, I'd like to kick it with Cayman, but like Bataille's drinking something. Picard's playing his flute or his whistle, or I don't know. Like it reminds me of the recorders. It was like a smaller version, uh, but the sound very much like a recorder that you know you had to use in grammar school. And he was playing Frere Jacques at first. Uh, and Bataille starts to give him the business. He says, man, you're brooding behind that flute, eh? And Picard says, I'm immersed, uh, different. He goes, it helps me think. And he goes, I really enjoy it. Uh, and Bataille says, you're getting better. And then the lean comes out. It's like passive-aggressive, like competing for attention mode. She says, hit the road, Bataille. And he goes, yes, ma'am. And he says, good night. And then they say, good night. And then she says, go carefully, Bataille. And then she picks up his shoes. She goes, I'm not, this is the last time I'm picking up after you, uh, buddy. And Picard says, yes, man. And she goes, she says, I'm sorry. I don't want to, you know, this is very real, uh, like marriage stuff or related. She goes, I don't want to be a nag. Picard goes, no, I'm sorry. He goes, uh, Everything you said today is true. I've given you so little, and you've given me so much. And she goes, well, you're a good man. And he goes, well, I'm not a good husband. You know, I spend my time. This was funny, too. He goes, I spend my time charting the stars, and I disappear for days at the t- days at a time exploring the countryside. And uh, he goes, just like my old life, old habits, uh, you know, die hard. Also, I saw, I, I think I might write some fantasy fiction about this uh Mostly about his son Bataille, uh, but maybe about Picard's adventures on the countryside. Came in on the countryside, uh, but we'll see. And then Picard says, uh, "You know, I want your permission. I want to build something." And she goes, "Well, you already have a laboratory and a telescope. Uh, you don't need my permission." He goes, "For this, I do." And she says, "What?" He goes, "A nursery." And she goes, you got to be kidding me. And then Picard says, unless you want a porch, uh, that would be easier to build. Uh, yeah, I could get on that. And she goes, no. And then they have this deep romantic kiss. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Picard stops. Oh, there was like one continuity error. Like Picard had stopped playing, but the music was still playing with the flute. No, I'm sorry. He breathes. Uh, I give you so little. You've given me so much. Uh, days at a time po- po- exploring the countryside. They cracked me up. Old habits. Uh, then we have. Then we go to the ship after their big time kiss. Riker, Geordi's uh, progress. He goes. They're using a solid propellant. I can trace it. And Riker goes. So we'll send a probe after to find out where their probe came from. And then Data says, I think we could reflect and disrupt the beam. 
And he says, what do you think, Dr. Crusher? And she goes, I wouldn't pull, you know, you don't want to pull something out. You know, we don't, we're not sure what would happen. Could do more harm. And then Worf says, the captain is under attack and we must do whatever we can. And this time Riker says, I'm uh, inclined to agree. Let's cut the cord. And then there's an ad. Uh, then there's a post break. There's a daughter, a little girl, which, I mean, it's pretty quick to assume it's Picard's daughter. She's in pink. Uh, she's playing uh, piano, Piard, playing Picard. Uh, she's playing on the, oh, Picard's playing on the flute. Uh, he really needs a haircut. His, his sides are wicked bushy. Really underlies how good his look is. Oh, with his bald, yeah. His wife's holding a baby. The parents are in very formal outfits. Uh, it started, I think it was at this point that I said, wait a second, Picard's like Link from, uh, uh, now I just can't even think, Zelda. He's got his flute and his, he's dressed like an elf. Uh, he's a Link. And it, like, uh, it is, it's true. It, like, uh, this is Picard's Link moment. I mean, here we go. I mean, I don't think Link ever wore a rusty-colored outfit, maybe, but uh, in the beginning, Picard's in the green. Now it's 2439, though. Maybe when Link was married or something, like in his formal. He just held out his hand to to stop the applause. And they're having a party. Uh, Yeah, very elvish, pulling in Link. Uh, There's a nice spread for the party. There's like a modern punch bowl. It looks like a lemonade. There's like dinner rolls and like some sort of cheese nut log, I think. Everybody's like, whoa, boy, let's get to these snacks. Uh, Picard does some handshaking. Oh, what was the name of that band? Uh, uh, Locomotive Mouse or whatever. Uh, Ian, I can't remember. I thought I would remember between now and when I took the notes. Uh, oh, I just thought of it. Uh now it just rushed me. I can picture the album cover. Past Masters, was that the name of the album? It's like a 60s band. Uh, Locomotive Breath. Did I say that already? Anyway, then Bataille. They named the kid Bataille in, the honor, in his honor. And Ricard says something about the warmth of friends. And then he starts breathing a couple of times. He breathes again. He goes up on his tippy toes and, uh, and then he faints. And then back in the ship, Ricard's in a little bit of trouble. And Crusher's like, get that beam back up. And then it's like the, one of the TV procedural shows, like uh, originally ER was the big one. Because she goes, cortical, cortical scanners or something, you know, stimulator beamers. And they say, check. And she goes, you know, 20 megavolts of Megatron. And then the beam's back. And then Picard's back. And Crusher takes a deep breath. Uh, Then we see uh, outside, daughter no older. But that's wrong. And she says, happy day, father. Picard's looking older. And her, his daughter's name is Maribor, and then they're both on the case. She's, like, t- doing t- soil tests, and she goes, you know, this is a long drought, Father. She goes, we got 25 years of records here, and we both reached the same conclusion. Picard says, I haven't reached any conclusion. I don't function by conjecture. And his daughter says, a good scientist functions by hypothesizing and then proving or disproving by hypothesis. Scientific method, yo. And Picard says, what about Danik, uh, this dude? And she goes, why are you changing the subject? And he goes, well, I got a hypothesis. He loves you, dear. And she goes, I thought you were teaching me to pursue the truth, no matter how painful it is. Uh, It's too late to back off now. You know, our planet's in trouble. And Picard says, yeah, beyond trouble, so maybe you shouldn't worry about... uh, he goes, maybe I should have filled your head with trivial concerns, games and toys and clothes. And the daughter says, I don't think you mean that. And he goes, no, but he goes, it saddens me to see you burdened with the truth and when it's out of your control. But she also takes in Tar because she says, well, maybe, I'll, maybe, maybe I will take, a, take another look at this Danic character. And he says, seize the time, Maribor, live now, make now the most precious time. Now will never come again. And she says, I love you, Father. 
Let's see what else. I love you, Father. Um, and in the ship, they see Riker pacing. Uh, Crusher says he's stable. Jordy says, uh, followed a probable trail to Catan. Uh, Star, let me see. Let me see what they actually, what they actually say. He goes, yeah, we, he goes, it goes to, uh, Catan, a Solarian sector. Riker says, never heard of a data. He goes, unmapped system of six planets inhabited. Nope. Uh, Star went Nova. Two to one thousand years ago. Oh boy! And uh, and it's a mystery. I put mystery. Bomb, bomb, bomb. And then the ad, which I mean, it still was a mystery to me. In uh, prob. Oh, here's the thing. Like uh, I don't know. I put prob. Oh, probe. Prob. P R O B. I should have added an E. Octagon with a fin on the top and the bottom with like the tail of an airplane with one light uh, or or the bun in some red highlights. Uh, oh, one red light for the beam. Okay, then we have Picard with a big like a world-class telescope, uh, like the nicest one you could have at your house. Also very steampunk because of the metal he used. Uh, he's taking notes. uh his wife comes out. They're both much older. She says, put away your shoes again. And uh, thanks him. And his wife uh, thinks that thanks, he says. So him and his wife are getting older. Then there's a flout in the night. I put uh, And Picard, it's Bataille, his son. Picard belly aches about Bataille. And his wife says, well, Bataille's got something on his mind. And Bataille comes out. He says, Father, I want, I'm, I'm into music. I'm not into, like, the rest of this junk, like, uh, job stuff. He really has to stand up. And Picard's, like, looking very old and grouchy. He goes, I'm dropping out of school to play the flout. And Picard goes, oh, no, you're not. Uh, and he goes, well, that's what I want. I love to play the flute. And the father says, well, you're, you're all over the place. Math, botany, flutes. And Bataille says, uh, but first, it's been the flout the whole time. He goes, this is the life I want. Uh, and Ricard's eyes move, and he says, huh, okay. He goes, maybe we'll talk about it later. And Bataille says, but he knows, Bataille knows what that means. Uh, and he says, thank you, Father. Um, let's see, determined look, uh, through it all, music, this is my life. I want it, well, we'll discuss it. And then the wife says, after all these years, you still surprise me. And Ricard says, well, who knows how much time I'll have uh, to follow his dreams. Eustace is a provoke. What does that say? You can't stay silent. Eustace. Okay, I can't figure out my writing, but it says something is a provoke. You can't stay silent. Uh, Basically, he's going to go talk to the government stooge about the evidence about the drought. Uh, evidence is too pronounced. I can't stay silent. And his wife says, what a surprise. Then came in and the administrator argue. He goes, what do you want? He goes, uh, why are you going to spread these things about the planet? Uh, it's trouble. And Picard goes, they're facts, actually. And he goes, you got to tell somebody that will actually know what to do. And the administrator says, I don't want to stir up trouble. And then he takes a Picard's side. He goes, actually, he goes, we knew about this two years ago. That's it. Uh, this is on the beach. Uh, he goes, did you ever read Neville Shoots on the Beach? And Picard goes, that's uh, an Earth book. He goes, well, that's what we got here. We're in the on-the-beach scenario. And Picard says, well, can't we do something? Like, And he goes, no, no. Like I said, it's an on-the-beach scenario. Uh, there's nothing we can do. And Picard says, what about genetic samples, at least? You know, you got to let this civilization live on. And then the mystery says, there is a plan in work, but I can't tell you more than that. Uh, dum, dum, dum. And then Bataille shows up. He goes, father, mother's in trouble here. So Picard runs home and came and actually, he says goodbye to his wife, who goes to live in the... Uh, I don't know, like a, like the great moisture evaporator in the sky. And then there's an ad. Then we see Picard playing with his grandson, uh, like playing around, having fun. The daughter comes in. She's in a hat. Yes, I had a crush on the daughter. I mean, she's very, I don't know. I just, I mean, I said, hmm. I said, is this my attraction to Picard playing out? Uh, 
But she comes in, and uh, everyone, I noticed everyone was in their finest clothes. Picard's being a curmudgeon, yeah, for sure. Uh, first, the daughter comes in, she goes, there's some children making a lot of noise in here. And Picard says, you don't get enough sunscreen on. You're outside for so long. She goes, don't worry about it. Uh, and he goes, how about you, young man? Do you, you know, he's tickling the kid. Do you have a sunscreen on? Skin protector, they call it. Uh, and then Bataille comes in, his kid. He was looking more and more like uh, Picard. He goes, happy day, everybody. Let's go see this launching. And Picard's like, a launching? What are you talking about? And everyone's like, Dad, the rocket they're sending up, we're going to go watch it. He goes, I'm not going anywhere. And Bataille says, come on, me and I'll take your kid to see the launching. Uh, and they go, and then Picard says, this is just too too hard, uh, this on-the-beach scenario. It sounded so good in the book, and especially when Dear Scooter always says he would like to see that as a movie with Jude Law. The only role Dear Scooter's cast is Jude Law is the guy that drives the car, race cars. And then she, she says, Dad, what are you talking about? He, he goes, it's just hard, you know. And she goes, come on, Father, let's go watch this launching. He goes, how come I didn't hear anything about this launching? And they all put hats on. Very good lesson. Again, very, a lot of foresight about uh, we, we're all supposed to wear hats like that, I guess. I don't. I like uh, I wear sunscreen, but not hats like that. Yeah, she says, please come, Father. And then the father and the daughter, they hold hands as they walk. It's a intense white sun. Uh, and then father says, what is this launching? Uh, and then it's, uh, she goes, you know all about it. And then it's flashback city. Like, oh, the, the mystery is revealed. Uh, it gets ultra trippy. Because uh, Picard, Bataille's talking to Picard. Uh, he says... Uh, like oh well, all the crew, uh, all the clues unravel. Because uh, with Tyson one, he goes, "You don't you remember, good old friend?" Uh, first, his daughter says, "You've already seen this thing, what, what they're launching." Picard says, "What do you mean?" And then Bataille says, "Don't you remember?" And Picard says, "Bataille, you look great. What's up?" Uh, and he goes, "You remember when the first time you saw it right before you got here?" We hoped our probe would encounter someone in the future, someone who could be a teacher, someone who could tell others about us. So I assume Picard's either working on a seminar at some point or a book about these people behind the scenes. And then Elaine shows up. She says, yes, my love. And Picard says, Elaine. She goes, the rest of us have been gone for a thousand years, but if you remember where we were, how we lived, we'll have life again. And then we watch the rocket. Picard says, Elaine. And then the rocket shoots in the sky. And she goes, now we live in you. Tell them about us, baby. And let's see what else I have. Picard, oh, oh, it's me. Oh, that, that's the other thing. Like, uh, he goes, oh, I'm the one uh, that's supposed to talk about you. I'm the one it finds. Uh, and then that's when Elaine says, yes, yes, my love. Picard's very old in this scene. Oh, oh I, I really liked that. Uh, probe finds me. And then uh, we're back in the ship. Picard stirs. Data says the beam was shut down. Picard wakes up. He's like, what the heck? And uh, please, can, please, Catan. Is that what it says? Please, Captain, don't. Because uh, he tries to get up. Uh, and he goes, what the heck? Uh Captain, and then he goes, this is the Enterprise, I'm Jean-Luc Picard, it slowly dawns on him, and he goes, how long? Uh, he's all doing that in a whisper, and then Riker says, 20, 25 minutes, and Picard says, 25 minutes, uh, and then he kind of needs help to get up and go to the med bay, like, so Riker and Crusher help him. And he walks off with Riker, and then he, or Crusher, and he looks back before he gets on the turbo lift. He has this huge smile as he realizes it was neither a dream nor reality, uh, kind of bolt. Then uh, we're in the ship, we're in the captain's quarters, and Picard's looking at some giant sextant, like some sort of uh, like digital, digital but also manual sextant, uh, and he walks around looking at his relics, and then his doorbell rings, and Riker comes in amused, of course. He's got a rectangular box under his arm. 
And he goes, you feeling better? And Picard goes, yeah, but I'm having to recover, rediscover my home. And Riker goes, we got in the probe, but it deleted everything. Uh, he goes, we found this inside. And he hands him the box and he leaves. And inside it is the tasseled recorder or whatever. And Picard pulls it out and he plays his like song that he's been playing throughout the episode. He plays it perfectly. And the episode comes to a conclusion.